Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Exodus, Exodus 20, verse 17. And here at Redeemer, if you're new here, we are in the habit of what's called expository preaching. We want to preach what the Word has to say, and that the Word is the main point of the sermon. Uh, We are also in the habit here of preaching verse by verse and paragraph by paragraph through portions of the Bible, through books of the Bible, and that's what we're continuing on to do right now as we get into Exodus 20 and the last of the Ten Commandments. Uh, This really allows the Word of God to set the agenda for our church. I've been meditating about how the Lord has providentially, in His timing, brought us through the Ten Commandments, and at the same time, on Sunday evenings, He is bringing us through the Sermon on the Mount reflecting many of these same Ten Commandments. And even just this past weekend with our women's ministry and how there was a discussion about contentment and even about this Tenth Commandment in many ways. And I can only think that the Lord has really been setting the agenda for our church. Perhaps the Lord is telling our church that He really desires our hearts that he really desires that we love him and that we love our neighbors. And so the scripture reading this morning does come from Exodus chapter 20, verse 17. And it says this, follow along with me. It says, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbors. May God bless the reading of his word. Well, in the book titled Affluenza, How to Be Successful and Stay Sane, author Oliver James analyzes the dysfunction that is happening in the Western world, namely that in the Western world, as it gets more and more wealthy, it seems to grow more and more anxious, seems to be growing more and more depressed. Interestingly, he observes that as a nation that is generally wealthy, we are always on the outlook to find the next best thing to purchase. He writes this, consumption holds out the false promise that an internal lack can be fixed by an external means. I don't know what Oliver James' background is, but think about that. He says, consumption holds out the false promise that an internal lack can be fixed by an external means. And then he says, we medicate our misery through buying things. And he illustrates this point about highlighting how advertising has changed since the time of World War II. He says, people no longer bought soap to make them clean. They bought the promise that it would make them beautiful. Toothpaste will not kill bacteria, but to create white teeth. Cars were for prestige rather than for travel. And he says this, needs were replaced by the wants that people did not know they had. Well, nothing has changed since... since World War II. 
Our culture is out of control with constant creation for new cravings, new desires. People are always wanting the next best thing, the next purchase, the next, the next experience, waiting for that next stage in life. And we have bought into the lie that an internal lack can be fulfilled by an external means. In other words, we inhabit a time and place that badly needs to hear the voice of God speaking in the 10th commandment, which is essentially, you shall not covet. The 10th commandment speaks to our dread that unless we have more stuff or the right kind of stuff or, you know, the right kind of relationship, I cannot be happy or whole or at peace. Well, as we as a church finally get to the last of the Ten Commandments, there is something unusual about this commandment, this last of the Tenth Commandment. What is unusual about this commandment is that it gets right to the heart, doesn't it? It goes straight to the heart. The other nine commandments are explicitly outward in its condemnation, acts like murder or adultery. Now, certainly as we've gone through the Ten Commandments, we've seen that these Ten Commandments are not talking merely about outward action, but also talking about inwardly what is happening in the heart. So murder is really anger. That's the inward, uh, inward response, or that's the inward beginnings. Uh, adultery uh, has, is the external kind of display of lust in our hearts. But the commandment, the Tenth Commandment, is different. All the other commandments have a way of starting on the outside and working themselves inside, but this commandment just starts right there on the inside. The Tenth Commandment refers to an inward attitude. It refers to invisible, invisible desires of our heart. Jen Wilkin writes that the Ten Commandments progress from don't do it to don't say it to now don't even think about it. So if you've ever thought to yourself, well, that Old Testament, you know, it's all about external obedience. God just wants us to obey all these external laws. Well, look here in the 10th commandment. It disabuses us of that kind of thinking, that kind of notion that only the New Testament is about the heart. No, the Old Testament, God has always been about the hearts of his people. So as we get into the 10th commandment, I simply want us to consider the Bible's teachings of it under three headings. Three headings. First of all, I want us to explore briefly the root of coveting. The root of coveting. Now, coveting is strictly forbidden in the 10th commandment. It says you don't covet your neighbor's house, you don't cover your neighbor's spouse, and you don't cover... You don't covet, sorry, you don't covet anything else. You don't covet anything else. And just for good measure, it says anything that is your neighbor's. So this is a very comprehensive command. It says no coveting. So what does it mean to covet? To covet is to crave, to yearn for, to hanker after something that you don't have. We covet when we set our hearts on something and pant after it. 
Thomas Watson defined it as an insatiable desire of getting the world. Now, just to be clear, not all desires are inappropriate. The Tenth Commandment does not prohibit every kind of longing or desire. We have only to think of our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, Jesus who knew hunger and desired food, who knew thirst and desired a drink. He knew suffering and asked God, is there any other way? And yet Jesus never coveted. In the Bible, we see that children are a good desire. Sexual intimacy in Song of Solomon, it says, is a good desire. Proverbs tells us it's good for us to perhaps want to have a little bit more. To make plans. To make improvements in life. And it's clearly not wrong to long after God to long after God and the kingdom of God, to desire God. But desire, so desire is not wrong. God made us to be creatures of desire, but just as C.S. Lewis famously put it, the problem is not that we desire too much. What's the problem? We desire too little. We are too easily satisfied with the mud pies and the trinkets of this world when we have something infinitely better in front of us. So what makes coveting sinful is not the desire itself, but when we desire what already belongs to someone else. It's thinking, it'd be nice to have her house. It'd be nice to have his job. I want their skills. I want their talents. You know, one way of looking at the 10th commandment is that it's an internalization of all the other commandments. Now, think about it a little bit. You desire and you, and you do not have, James says. And so what do you do? You murder. That's the sixth commandment. You desire sex. So you gaze and you fantasize and you lust. Seventh commandment. You desire just a little bit more, so you steal, eighth commandment. You desire a little bit of a better reputation, so you gossip and you flatter, ninth commandment. In other words, we see the tenth commandment talks about all of us in this room and our covetousness. You know, you only have to look into a nursery to see covetousness. You only have to look into any family and you see coveting happening all the time. Nothing arouses a child's interest in a toy like seeing it in the hands of another. You know, that child may actually have a squishmallow in their hands and they might have five others surrounding them, but when they see their sibling have it, they say, it's not fair. I want that one. Even if it's identical. Now, adults are more subtle, but we're not that different, are we? Coveting is that twinge of disappointment whenever someone get, else gets what we want. It's how we react when a coworker gets that promotion. Or, how, or our roommate finds romance and we're still single. Or when a friend goes on that vacation that we can only dream about. Or they're off in Asia for like a very long time. What is the root of our coveting? 
I think the Westminster Larger Catechism hits the nail on the head. It says, the sins forbidden in the Tenth Commandment are envying and grieving at the good of our neighbor. That's one. And two, discontent with our own estate. So, those two things are the roots of our covetous hearts. First, it's a defective relationship with our neighbor. Do you see that coveting fails to love our neighbor? When we're covetous, we think supremely about what? Ourselves. Of what is good for us, what we would like, what we want, what would make us happy, how our lives would be better, and maybe at the cost of them. You know, I don't, it's kind of a silly illustration, but I was thinking like maybe you see, I don't know if this is real, okay? So don't, don't hold me to this illustration, but you know, a woman might see another woman's hair and be like, oh, I wish I had that hair. But you don't want the exact same hair. You want your hair to be better than theirs, right? I don't know. I don't know if people think that way. <laughs> but covetousness is this mixture of jealousy and envy and resentment and says, why should he have that and not me? I want what they have. But second, it's a defective relationship with God. Because when we covet, we are discontent, ultimately, with God. We're saying, God, I don't think you've portioned out things correctly here. I think you've given too much to my neighbor and not enough to me. You know what, God? What you've provided is not enough. Your wisdom is not enough. Your goodness is not enough. Your providence is not enough. Your justice is not righteous enough. You know what, God? You are not enough. You've not treated me as I deserve. And so do you see why the 10th commandment is a fitting summary for the 10 commandments? Because it's a violation of both tables of the law. Isn't it? You do not love your neighbor as yourself. And you do not love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The two tables of the law. What's more, Colossians 3, 5 says this. Listen very carefully. Put to death, it says, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness. And then he adds this, which is idolatry. Here we have come full circle in the, tenth com- in, in the Ten Commandments, haven't we? Idolatry, the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. Coveting is idolatry. Coveting is desiring anything so much that you resent God. You're saying, I need this or I need that. If I don't have it, I'm not going to be happy. I'm not going to be happy unless I have that person or that place or those possessions. God is not good and that is why. That is why Jesus warns us in Luke. In Luke 12, he says, take care. Be on guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And it is why the Apostle Paul says in Romans that the wrath of God falls on the covetous. He lines it up with all sorts of other sins. It says, covetousness bars you from heaven. Covetousness deserves hell. (laughs) Because it is idolatry. 
Well, the 10th commandment makes explicit what the other commandments imply. Obedience is a matter of the heart. It's about the heart. Where's your heart? So how do you know if you're coveting? What are some signs that you might be coveting? So this brings us to our second point this morning, the signs of coveting. Talked about the roots of coveting. Now let's talk about the signs of coveting. Now, we can probably think of many signals of a covetous heart. Perhaps you're just always preoccupied with accumulation. You're just one of those people that just like to see, to have more and more stuff or more and more zeros in the bank account. Or you're willing to hurt others in order to get more for yourself. Or you're unwilling to, to give away what you have. The list could go on. But let me just provide two. Two signs that you may be coveting. First, you might be coveting if you rarely say thank you. You might be coveting if you rarely say thank you. If you don't say thank you to others, you never give thanks to God. Uh, Ingratitude, of course, is more than just the absence of verbalizing a thank you. It's a symptom of covetousness because we're starting to take things for granted. And we do not appreciate the grace that has been shown to us. You know, parents know what this looks like. Children take for granted all the time their parents' blood, sweat, and tears, right? They're like, do this because you're supposed to, you know. Uh, you know, parents are always refinding, reminding their children to give thanks. They say, remember to uh, write your thank you cards for all the gifts you received for your birthday, Remember to thank your father because he drove 12 hours to get you to Yosemite and back. (laughs) So, why do parents do that? Is it merely social courtesy? It's because we want our children to understand grace and feel thankful. But covetousness takes all that away because while it's easy for us to ask for God for things, isn't it much harder to say thank you for everything he gives? to give thanks in all circumstances because we don't have our eyes open to see all that God has done and is doing. Covetousness is this way of curving in on oneself where we are never quite pleased with anything, always thinking we deserve more, expecting more. So why would we ever say thank you? So you might be coveting if you rarely say thank you. And second, you might be coveting if you often say, if only. This is when we are frequently discontent with our house, our spouse, our health, the quality and quantity of our possessions, the general state of life. So much of our frustration in life comes from wanting things that God has not given us. And in our covetous desire, we concentrate on what we don't have rather than what we do have. Kind of like Ahab, who said, if only... If only, if only I had Naboth's vineyard or Israel who said, if only we were back in Egypt. Now, let me add an important caveat here from Jeremiah Burroughs, who wrote a book called The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment, a worthy buy for every Christian. He writes that God is not saying that you can't offer a lament. The Bible is full of those. Sometimes you are in hard circumstances. You're enduring chronic pain or the loss of a loved one. And the Bible gives us voice to express those cries of pain. It is okay for us to speak in those ways. But 
What we're talking about here is something different. It's where you always want the next thing, or sometimes you want the last thing. You compare your situation with someone else, and you start thinking, if only. Sometimes we say, if only about our material possessions. If only I had a little more money. If only I could go on vacation like this other person did and fill my Instagram stories with all these wonderful things in Japan. <laughs> right? If only I had that uh, granite countertop. You know, I'm stuck with Formica here. You know, you guys know what Formica is? It's like, anyways, nobody wants it. <laughs> I was reading this past week from Jen Wilkins' book, The Ten Words, and she said, you know what it means to watch HGTV and then you turn off HGTV and all of a sudden you just want to burn your house down. But once we start thinking this way, there's no end to our discontent. The story is often told of the reporter who asked the billionaire Nelson Rockefeller how much money it takes to be happy, and he just said, what? Just a little more. Somehow, we think that we will be happier if we had that kitchen or that car or that dress. We would be complete, and we know that even when we get it, it never satisfies, does it? Remember when we order that thing off Amazon, we think, this, when it comes to me in this box, I will be so happy. And you open it, and then it never lives up to the hype, does it? Sometimes we say, if only, when it comes to our physical attributes. If only I had a different body type. If only I was a little more handsome, people would be friends with me. If only I didn't have this disability, if only my health was a little bit better, I could serve the Lord more effectively. Of course, there are times in which we are discontent with our situation in life. If only I get this grade or I get into this school, and then it becomes, if only I moved out, things would be better with my parents. If only I found someone to marry, it would make all the difference. If only I got engaged. If only I got married. If only I had children. And then all of this happens in your life. And then you say, if only my husband was like that husband. He's friendly. He's good with children. He helps out around the house. He always fixes things rather than breaks things. Why am I stuck with my husband, who is only good at reading, you know? Or, or wow, she's, she's beautiful. Why couldn't my wife have aged like that? If only I married someone like her, life would be easier. Or if only my children were easier or smarter or more athletic. And never at a moment do we stop to think all of this, even the difficulties even the hardships. God is good. It is a good gift from God. He has given me friends and fellowship and faith. I deserved hell. He has given me heaven. And sometimes our longing for things is not just for future things. Sometimes it's for the last thing, the past thing. You know, sometimes we, we, when we're young, we can't wait to get old. And when we're old, we think... If only I was young again. When we're without children, we think, I can't wait to be a mother. 
And then when we get them, we think, if I could only have my old lifestyle back again. Grumble, grumble, and we grumble. The truth is that as long as we base our sense of contentment on anything in this world, we will always find some excuse to make ourselves miserable, and we do not learn to be satisfied right now in our present situation. If we don't learn to be satisfied now, we will never be satisfied, even in, if we are in the middle of going through some of the hardest moments in our lives. I came across a poem in my studies this week from Chuck Swindoll, and uh, it, I think it speaks, it gets to the bankruptcy, bankruptcy of life lived on the grip of if only. It goes like this. It was spring, but it was summer I wanted, the warm days and the great outdoors. It was summer, but it was fall I wanted, the colorful leaves and the cool dry air. It was fall, but it was winter I wanted, the beautiful snow and the joy of the holiday season. It was winter, but it was spring I wanted, the warmth and the blossoming of nature. I was a child, and it was adulthood I wanted, the freedom and the respect. I was 20, but it was 30 I wanted to be mature and sophisticated. I was middle-aged, and it was 20 I wanted, the youth and the free spirit. I was retired, but it was middle-aged I wanted, the presence of mind without limitations. My life was over, and I never got what I wanted. And the truth is, that if God wanted us to have something right now, we would have it. If he wanted you to have different gifts in order to serve him, he would give it. God is not a stingy God. If we were supposed to be in a different situation in life, he would put us in that. So instead of rarely saying thank you, instead of often saying if only, we must glorify God to the fullest right now. And how do we do that? One word, it's called contentment. That's what some of you ladies were learning about yesterday. And this is our last point as we wrap up. We've gone from the root of coveting, the signs of coveting, and now the secret of contentment, the secret of contentment. Whereas coveting says, I need that. I won't be happy without it. Contentment says, I have what I need. Jen Wilkin describes it this way. Covetousness whispers that we deserve that which has been given to our neighbor. Contentment states plainly that God has given us what is good. Here then is the antidote of coveting. It is contentment. First Timothy 6.6 6 says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Do you hear that? Do you hear those words? Godliness with contentment is with great gain. You want stuff. You want more stuff. You want that good life. You want that gain of life. He says, I, God says, I got it for you. It's called contentment. In other, in other words, there's an investment we can make that will pay constant dividends that will never fail to satisfy our hearts. Paul talks about it in Philippians 4.11. I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And what is that secret that must be learned for us? And not what is that secret that is given? It's verse 13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, that is not a verse that you write on your shoe so that you can run faster and you make more baskets. That is not something that you 
say as a mantra, I can do all things through strength and weakness. You say over and over again on your test so that you can pass the test or, or pass the audition. That's not what it's about. What it's saying is God will be more than enough in your abundance and in your adversity. That's why Psalm 73, the psalmist writes, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. That is why we sang, all I have is Christ. Augustine famously prayed, O Lord, thou hast made me for for thyself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. When we get him, When we get God, our hearts at last find rest. Our if-onlys are stilled and our thank-yous start bubbling over because we found satisfaction in Jesus. Beloved, Instagram is selling you a bill of goods as to what the good life is. Those catalogs you receive are not telling the truth about what the good life is. Your neighbor's life is not what the good life is. Those things are holding out false promises that an internal lack can what? Be fixed by an external means. It can't. Of course it can't. Because God says man shall not live by bread alone. God supplies your every need according to the riches that are in Christ Jesus. Be content, Hebrews 13 says, for God will never leave you nor forsake you. And even as we heard this morning in our prayer of confession, be content. Why? Because God is our shepherd and you shall not want. So whether you're a Christian here this morning or or not, the throbbing discontent of your heart is a signal to you this morning that you need Jesus. True contentment isn't circumstantial. It's relational. It's not based on what happens to us. It's based on who has taken a hold of us. If you're coveting, it is because you're looking for joy in all the wrong places. You have not learned in whatever circumstance to be content content because you're not resting in Jesus. But the 10th commandment is a call and an invitation to silence the grumbling And take up the riches that are offered to us in Jesus Christ. The contentment you are seeking, you won't find elsewhere. Because the wells from which you are drinking are all salt water. You think that the more you have of it, the more it will slake your thirst. And it will not. It will only make you more thirsty. That's what lust is. That's what theft is. That is what covetousness is. It will not quench. But the good news for your discontented heart is that Jesus is saying, I am the living water. You come to me, never thirst again. Slake your thirst in the Savior. So what's going on in your heart? Do you always complain that you never arrive that you never quite get your due. God has given his most precious treasure to us, his son. 
Romans 8.32, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all this will be added unto you. The first thing, the main thing, and the only thing that really matters is to trust in Jesus because he is enough for us. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we've spent many weeks through these Ten Commandments, months even, and we have been challenged in so many different ways from your word. Challenged us in what we are pursuing, in what we love. And so, Father, we ask that you would tune our hearts once again to love you and to love our neighbors. Let us not merely stop doing the wrong things, but start doing all the things that bubble over in our hearts to do out of our love for you. Change us, O Lord by the power of your spirit take away the thorns that are always crowding out our lives our hearts for what is most important that we may bear much fruit we pray all this in jesus name amen